I was I was preaching a series, a three three uh, week series on prayer, and uh, I believe it was either the first or the second service. Uh, I had studied and written a lot of notes and had a lot of scripture ready, and felt like I had prayed and kind of prepared my heart for the the lesson and the message that night, and got up in the service, and as we began to pray. As I began to pray, uh, just before the message, in the middle of praying, uh, I was convicted. And I thought, man, what a weak prayer warrior I am. And how anemic my praying seemed to be. Powerless. And uh, I'm not saying we're there yet, but I'll tell you this, the pursuit of fervent and particular prayer ought to be one of the great pursuits of the Christian life. Uh, we've lost, in, in our day and age, somewhere along the line, we've lost uh, what the hymn writer wrote years ago, Sweet Hour of Prayer. There's so many folks that sit in our churches that don't even know what an hour of prayer feels like. And... Uh, and I'm not saying you have to spend an hour every day in prayer, but boy, there ought to be seasons of times that God brings into our lives that we just love. I mean, absolutely love being in His presence. And it gets to the place where we don't want it to end. We don't want it to leave. And uh, there's been a few things in my life over the years that uh, I could think of and that I loved, uh, was looking forward to with great, great anticipation. And I like what the psalmist said in Psalm 1 when it says, But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And speaking of meditating in the Word of God day and night. I think it ought to be the delight of a Christian to pray. It's, it's the lifeblood of our Christian life. It really is. It's what stirs the embers of our hearts. And it's what causes heaven to move on our behalf. And it's not that God doesn't, doesn't know what we need before we come to Him. We understand that, right? We fully understand. I mean, God knows before we ever come to Him in prayer what we're going to pray for. Why then does He ask us to pray? Why does He command us to pray? To pray without ceasing. Why does He do that? It's for our benefit. Absolutely, it's for our benefit. And it'll strengthen our faith and it draws us closer to Him. And I'll tell you, uh, you get to a certain place where you begin to pray fervently and specifically. And I, I'll tell you what, what bothered me the night that I, I was so convicted. And right, I'm right in the middle of praying before the message even started. Is we tend to use, uh, I hate to use this phrase, but we tend to use buzzwords or Christian words and phrases and terminology that maybe we've heard somebody else use in their prayers. And I'll tell you what convicted me. I was praying it that night for one of the folks in our church that was battling cancer. As I began to pray, I said, Lord, be with brother so-and-so. And as soon as I uttered that, I thought, can I not do any better than that? Can I not pray a little more specific and fervent? I mean, our brother's going through cancer. And all I can say is, Lord, be with him. But we use that phrase. We've heard so many people do it. Uh, or we like to say bless. And there's nothing wrong with that. We ought to ask for the Lord's blessing on people. 
But it ought to go further than that. And it ought to be more than just, Lord, bless this and Lord, be with that. Uh, there ought to be a fervency and there ought to be a, a very specific type of praying. And I thought, you know, if I was going through that battle of cancer, I'd, I wouldn't want people to just say, be with Brother Greg. I would want people that knew how to get a hold of God to get on their faces and pray. And uh, God really convicted me. And right around that time, I was struggling and battling with some things in ministry about having the power of God in ministry. And how I feel so often that we neglect even uh, the pursuit of having God's power in our lives to serve. And it was right around that time that I was talking with the evangelist friend of mine by the name of Bobby Brown and uh, had been evangelist for many, many years. At that time, he was probably in his early 80s. And um, I was sharing with him. I took him to lunch one day and I said, Brother Brown, I'm really struggling with this. And I said, it's really weighed heavy on me. And he handed me a little booklet. He said, I want you to read this. And I went home that afternoon and read it. And it was the little booklet that we gave out here about a year or so ago to uh, many of you about Daniel Nash, um, called the Prince, uh, the Prevailing Prince of Prayer. Prevailing Prince of Prayer, I think, is the name of the book. And it's just about a 40-page book or so. And I'm going to tell you, I got so convicted reading that book. And it was life-changing. And I, I know it's a small book, and some of you may have read it. And it may not have done a lot for you, but, and maybe I was a little more sensitive to it at the time because of what I was going through. But when I began to read about the diligence and the man that gave himself to agonizing in prayer, I began to think, we don't, we don't pay the price of praying fervently. The Bible speaks of the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And we're going to look at that tonight. And yet, uh, how long has it been since we've had a season of prayer that was effectual and fervent? Something beyond just praying for our meal or going down our punch list of our prayer list. There's a time for praying for our prayer list, but it ought to be effectual and it ought to be fervent. And we're going to look a little bit about that tonight. There are not enough words to describe, the book says, the wonder and the privilege of prayer. Prayer is how we bring our needs to God. It's how we under, unburden our hearts before Him. It's one of the ways that we strengthen our relationship with Him. Prayer is one of the earliest spiritual exercises that we'll learn in the Christian life. And, and almost, I mean, from the day we got saved, we began to pray. And some of us may have even tried praying before we got saved. And, uh, but uh, certainly since we got saved, we began to pray. And it is one that will cause us to grow uh, in our Christian life. And it will continue, that part of our life will continue to grow and expand as we go through our Christian life. The closer we're drawn to the Lord Jesus Christ, the more we want to spend time speaking with Him. And uh, I catch myself sometimes, and I know some of you have given testimony of this, going down the road. And maybe somebody in the car with you, maybe somebody not. And just all of a sudden you start talking to God about something that comes to mind. And we ought to be that comfortable in prayer with God. We really ought to. And not to come to Him with arrogance and, and irreverence. But there ought to be a, a, a comfort level in coming to Him in prayer and knowing that He hears us and answers our prayers. In this lesson, we're going to look at some basic truths regarding how to pray, what to pray for, and how to keep our prayer life strong. Prayer is an invitation for the child of God. Prayer is an invitation to the very throne room of heaven. So somebody look up Hebrews chapter 4 and we'll read verses 15 and 16 if you will. 
Hebrews chapter 4. Who's got it? Brother Larry, you got it? We are to come boldly to the throne of grace. We don't have to go through a high priest anymore. Our high priest is the Lord Jesus Christ. And he is not one of these high priests that doesn't understand or know what we've gone through. He knows every bit of what we go through, doesn't he? And uh, we have direct access. And that, what a privilege. What a privilege. It's, it's one of those things that if we didn't have it, we would wish that we had it. And, but yet, that we, now that we have it, so many times we don't think a lot of it. That we have direct access to God Himself through prayer. And we're invited to pray. Prayer is talking to God. Sometimes people worry about what words to say when they pray. Can I tell you this? Especially in public praying. Don't worry about the words that you say as far as trying to, to make it sound good to people. Pray to God. And don't worry about what people think. I was sitting in a, a, a seminar several years ago on Christian education. And uh, one of the speakers got up, uh, I believe, the, uh, uh, actually I was listening to this. This was not one I went to, because I remember the speaker. The speaker was Frank Hamrick. And he was dealing with the subject of um, nuts and bolts of Christian education and youth ministry. And he made a, a statement, I'm going to say as best I can and try to paraphrase it, but it, made a, it drove a point home to me that school teachers a lot of times will get up, especially in Christian schools, and They'll get up in the classroom, and you want to start every class with prayer. In fact, in the Christian school that we had in Florida, we want all of our teachers to start every class with prayer. But he said what typically happens is a teacher will, the bell will ring, the teacher will walk to the podium, he'll say, okay, let's bow our heads in prayer, and it'll be a short prayer, just something along the lines of, Lord, bless our class today, help us to do good, in Jesus' name, amen. Just a very brief, quick prayer. And he says what tends to happen sometimes is young people will listen to that day after day after day, and they'll feel like, even, even if they may not think it, they'll feel like on the inside that the teacher is doing something that they just need to get out of the way so they can get to the important matter of teaching the class. And the statement Frank Hamrick made about that was this. Our young people in our Christian schools need to develop a passion for God. And they're not going to gain it when the teacher gets up and does a, a short, brief, quick prayer to just get it out of the way so that they can move on to the class. He said what students need to hear is a teacher that will get up and when they pray, they feel like they walked into the very throne room of God. And boy, it ought to feel that way every time we come to God in prayer, shouldn't it? If we're praying in private, it ought to feel that way. If we're praying in public, we don't worry about those that are around us. We just pray and feel like we're in the very presence of God. And all oh, the difference it would make in our lives. It's, it's just talking to God. It's not making a speech. It's not polishing your words and making some fancy rhetoric. You just talk to God. And you spend time with Him. Sometimes people worry about those words... But uh, really, at the simplest form, prayer is simply talking to God. And you can talk to Him about anything. Amen? You can talk to Him about your burdens, your problems, your trials, what your needs are. You can even talk to Him about some of the good things that happen in your life. Praise Him for it. Thank Him for it. There's so many things to be doing. There's things we can pray in, a, in an attitude of worship to, toward Him. 
And uh, certainly so many things we can do. Jeremiah 33.3. Somebody read that one for us. Or quote it. Yes, ma'am. Miss uh, Joanne. Call unto me, and I will answer thee, and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. What a great promise we have. Prayer is asking for our needs. <clears throat> Amazingly, God cares about every need in our lives and invites us to bring them to Him in prayer. There are some people out there that think that God uh, is a disinterested God, that He came and paid the price for man's sins, and then He just kind of sits back in heaven and lets man tend to his own things. But you know what's amazing to me, and I said it at the very beginning when I got up here? This week's been encouraging to me because of the little things. And for me, the little things make a huge difference. Because they show me how, how much God is interested in my life, in my day-to-day -day life. You kind of expect God to step in on the big things. But when He does the little things, when He does those things that maybe are just kind of between you and Him, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't it draw us closer to Him? Cause us to think more of who He is and the fact that He is intimately, intimately involved in our life on a daily basis. He is concerned about every single aspect. Perhaps that's why in Proverbs chapter 3 and verse number 5, it says, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not in thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge Him. That's an interesting phrase. In all thy ways acknowledge Him, and He shall direct thy paths. He wants to know about every single aspect of your life. Now let me ask you this question. We all understand, don't we, that He already knows every aspect of our life, right? He just wants us to acknowledge Him in it. He wants us to come to Him and say, Lord, not what I want today. I want what You want. And to seek for those things. Matthew chapter 6, verse number 26. Who's got that one? Brother David? Rector? So God takes care of us. God takes care of us. He's involved in every aspect. The Bible says that a sparrow cannot fall without God knowing it. And not one hair can leave our head without Him knowing the number of hairs that are left up there. And for some of us, that's quite a challenge. He knows it, doesn't He? God hears us. And boy, I'll tell you, we, we need to nail this down. I've counseled with people. I've talked to Christian folks. They say, I just don't feel like God's listening. God is always listening. And you may not always feel like He is, but you can rest assured by faith, He always is listening. And He hears us. Alright, 1 John chapter 5, verse number 14, says, And this is the confidence that we have in Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He heareth us. God cares about our troubles. 1 Peter 5, and verse number 7, Casting all your care upon Him, for He careth for you. And by the way, let me back up to the verse prior to this. And I know it says, according to His will. Can I say this? That when our walk with God is what it ought to be, and we're in the Word of God, and we're spending time in a relationship with Him, and praying and talking and communing with God, can I tell you this? It's not very long before our will becomes His will. And therefore, the things we begin to pray for will be because they're His will. 
And so we'll want to watch for those things, and we want to be very careful of those. God desires to grant our requests. Matthew chapter 7 and verse number 7. Ask, and it shall be given unto you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto unto you. And I like what I shared the other day in church. I heard a preacher say one time, we need to base our lives on the shallbies of the Word of God. Uh, They are promises to us. doesn't say they might be. doesn't say probably. It just says it will happen. It shall be. And the Bible promises, as in Matthew chapter 7 and verse number 7, that if we ask, it shall be given us. Seek, and we shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto us. Now again, taking that verse in context with all other Scripture, we're to be praying according to His what? His will. So as long as we're praying according to His will, it's what God wants, and we're asking Him for it, He's going to give it to us, isn't He? Absolutely. Prayer is a command. God not only invites us to pray, but He tells us to pray. Commands us to pray. Colossians chapter 4, and verse number 2. He says, continue in prayer. Watch in the same uh, with thanksgiving. In fact, he even assumes that we will pray. Notice how when Jesus instructed his disciples concerning prayer, he said, when ye pray, not if ye pray. There's a big difference there, isn't it? Not when, not, uh, it was when ye pray, not if we pray. God expects it. He assumes it. It's kind of like when I spoke the other day on Romans chapter 12, Verses 1 and 2, when it says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your what? Reasonable service. That is just laying your body down as a sacrifice in your life and saying, God, it's not mine, it's yours. Taking my hands off of it, no will of my own, it's only His will. That's just the normal for the Christian life. That's not even extraordinary. We get to this thing of praying, and he says in verse number... um, uh, let's see here. In verse, uh, well, uh, the, the assumption is that we're going to pray in verse number, Colossians chapter 4, verse number 2. There we go. Continue in prayer and watching the same with thanksgiving. And then when we get to Luke chapter 11, verse number 2, and he said unto them, When ye pray, say, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. So it's just the norm of the Christian life. It's not a matter of if we're going to pray, it's a matter of when you pray. It's what's expected. It's not something going beyond the call of duty and going above and beyond. And I fear that so many times in our lives, we, we think sometimes that, well, I don't want to be that heretical toward, or that uh, fanatical towards God. I don't want to be that sold out to Him that I, I pray all the time. Well, that's just the norm of the Christian life. That's not even being sold out yet. That's just what's expected. He says, when you pray, uh, say, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth, uh, as in heaven, so on earth. So how should we pray? Uh, the disciples asked that question, didn't they? They asked him how to pray. Well, there's several things we're going to look at here. First of all, we ought to pray regularly. Regularly. The best way to develop a meaningful life is to pray on a regular, daily basis. And can I say several times throughout the day? You say, Brother Greg, how many times should I pray throughout the day? As often as the Lord leads you to. And that's part of being sensitive to the Spirit of God. Um, I, I love the story that I read of Spurgeon, who rarely ever took a day of time because he was so concerned with the eternity of men's souls. And he was a workaholic, and his friends worried about him because of his health. And they finally one day talked him into taking a trip to the park and having a picnic lunch with them and a day of holiday and rest so he could kind of recuperate. 
And one of them wrote in their journal after the day was over and said, we never knew when he was speaking to us and when he was speaking to God. He would transition so seamlessly between the two. So the Bible teaches us that we ought to be regular in prayer. It ought to be something throughout the day that is a seamless part of our life. Uh, We ought not to make a big to-do about coming to God in prayer and, and try to say, okay, I'm going to gather people around now so I can pray. If God leads you to pray, start praying. Just spend time with Him. Talk with Him. Ask Him the things you need to ask Him about. Psalm 5 and verse number 3, My voice shalt thou hear in the morning. O Lord, in the morning will I direct my prayer unto thee, and will look up. Morning is a great time to start the day with prayer. I think it's one of the great times of the day to do what was told in uh, Proverbs chapter 3, verses 4 and 5. In all our ways acknowledge Him. I think we start the day with saying, Lord, help me through my day today. Show me what you want me to do. Bring people across my path. Give me these divine appointments that you want me to deal with today. Help me with my life and my testimony. Help me as I walk today to, uh, to point men to you and to have a testimony that would draw men to you. Spending that time at the beginning of the day just seems to get the day started off on the right foot, doesn't it? Doesn't mean every day is going to be perfect, but boy, it helps start that off on the right foot. Seeking them early. Prayer is not something we run, uh, we run to only in times of emergency. It is to be our regular communication with God. We're to pray continually. Although having regular established prayer time is important, we can and should pray at any time and any place. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse number 17 says, <coughs> excuse me, pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. How often do we come to God <coughs> as the afterthought after we have attempted something and failed at it and messed it up? Been there? I I have. I've been there too many times, more times than I like to admit. We attempt to do our work our way and end up in a mess. And then we come running to God to fix it. And don't get me wrong, God's there. He will listen. He may let us go through the mess to learn something from it, possibly. Sometimes He may choose to fix it. It's up to Him. But wouldn't it be wonderful if we could start making God the forethought of those things? Before we start them, before we attempt them, before we get working in them. This thing of prayer, so, so vital to the success and the victory in the Christian life. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse number 18, Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. We're to be praying continually. We're to be praying with faith. We're to be praying with faith. Uh, Pray knowing that your Heavenly Father wants you to pray. He hears your request and will do what's best for you. Isn't that a wonderful thing to trust in? It kind of takes the load off of our hearts, doesn't it? That we can rest in what we're praying for, and especially if we say, Lord, we certainly want your will in this matter, then we can walk away and that burden's off of us, can't we? Not to say that we're not burdened for a lost person, we continue to pray for them, but, it, but all of a sudden we're praying by faith, and now it's up to the Father to deal with it. It's up to Him to answer it as His will dictates. And what a blessing that is. It sure helps us out of a lot of worry, doesn't it? A lot of anxiety in the life that we have. To be able to pray in faith, 
<clears throat> my mom's got a, a plaque hanging in her kitchen that she found years ago, and it says, Prayer is not believing that God can, but trusting that He will. Not believing that He can. Most of us believe that God can, right? If not all of us. We would say, without God, all things are possible. God can do anything. But when we pray, do we believe that He will? How many times have we said, boy, I can't believe that God answered this prayer? <laughs> Why would we say that? Shouldn't it be that we kind of expect that prayer to be answered? If you ever get an opportunity to read a biography, you ought to read the biography of George Mueller. A man of prayer. God has prayers answered. One of the rules that George Mueller followed when he went to the Lord in prayer, he had a list of several things that he had rules about how he would come to God in prayer. One of the rules that he had that struck me when I read his biography that's been a, a tremendous help and blessing to me in my life. He said, when I come to God, I come to Him having no will of my own. It does not matter how He answers it. That's for Him to decide. I have come to Him in prayer. I've been obedient. I've laid my petition before Him. And now it's up to Him to answer it. And man, I'm going to tell you, there's a great peace that comes with that, isn't there? Great peace. And then He would expect in every instance, not in some, for God to answer it. Now, He didn't always know what His answer was going to be. But having no will of his own, God always answered George Mueller's prayers. And he can answer all of our prayers too, can't he? Amen. Hebrews chapter 11, verse number 6. But without faith it is impossible to please him, for he, come, he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that what? Diligently seek him. Coming to him by faith. And without it, it's impossible to please God. How many of us tonight want to please God with our lives? Then we've got to have faith. We've got to have faith. Matthew 21, verse 22. And all things whatsoever ye ask in prayer, believing ye shall receive. Now be careful. Some of these health, wealth, and prosperity preachers will take this verse. They'll pull it way out of context. Don't put any other verses of Scripture with it. And they say, hey, you can pray for whatever you want to. If you want to pray for a brand new Ferrari, God, and you believe it, God has to do it because He promised. Well, we have to always take it in stride with the rest of Scripture too, right? And we've already discussed the fact that we're to pray according to His what? His will. Okay? Not my will. His will. And if we pray in His will, believing, we shall receive it. We shall receive it. Alright? Pray with the right motives. Pray with the right motives. God wants us to bring our personal and family needs to Him. But asking for our needs is different than asking with selfish motives. James chapter 4, verse 2 and 3 is a tremendous verse on this. Ye lust and have not, ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. Ye fight and war, ye have not because ye ask not. And I've heard preachers preach great, great messages. And by the way, most of our prayer failures are because of that statement right there. We have not because we don't even ask for it. We ask not. If we ask for it, there's sometimes we don't get what we're praying for, even if we're believing in it. Because look what he says here. Ye ask and receive not, because ye ask amiss, that ye may consume it upon your own lusts. If it's just something our flesh desires, then God's not going to give us that, is he? It has to be according to his will. All right. Pray according to God's will. God always answers our prayers, but His answers are not always yes. Like a good parent, sometimes our Heavenly Father knows that we want uh, what we want may not be best for us. 
Thus, sometimes he does not give us what we ask for or he does not give it to us right away. There are times that my kids will ask for something, and I'm sure if you're a parent here today, you can relate to this. And you know that it is not good for them. When they want their own cotton candy machine in their room, you just say, No, it is not good for them. Their teeth will rot out of their head. They may think that that's the greatest thing in the world. And you say no, and here's the thing. They go and they storm off and they what? They pout, don't they? Go off into a corner. I didn't get what I wanted. And we as parents look at that and we think, but don't you understand this is for your good? But I wonder how many times when we come to God in prayer for things and His answer is no. And then we go and spiritually pout. Been there? Why would we do that? Do we truly believe that God wants what's best for us? If He wants what's best for us, then we ought to praise Him even in the nose. Amen? If He says no, say, Lord, thank You. You have done that for my good. We may not see it and we may not understand it, but we can trust it by faith. Amen? All right, moving on. Pray according to God's will. God always answers your prayers. May not always be yes. Like a good parent, sometimes our Heavenly Father knows what, what we, we want may not be best for us. Thus, sometimes He does not give us what we ask for, or He does not give it to us right away. 1 John chapter 5, verse number 14. And this is the confidence that we have in Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, and here we see it again, he heareth us. Luke chapter 18, verse number 1. And he spake a parable unto them to this end, that men ought always to pray. And this is a peculiar ad- addition to this uh, verse. And not to what? What is that telling us? That if we pray and we don't get what we want, what are we supposed to do? Don't give up. If we know it's according to God's will, we continue to pray. My dad prayed for a fellow that was a friend of his when he started the church in Florida for 22 years. And after 22 years, just a few months before the man passed away, he called my dad up and had him come to his office. And my dad sat there and led him to the Lord. But my dad had prayed for him for 22 years. The name was Skeeter Castleman. And boy, I'll tell you what, he became one of the sweetest Christian men you ever met. But it took some time. What if, what if the first time we'd prayed... For him, and he didn't get saved in the church service. My dad had said, okay, we'll move on to the next one then. We all know that God's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But I wonder how often we give up on praying for folks too early. Pray according to God's will. We ought to have confidence and we ought to always be praying and not to faint. Don't be weary in praying. Pray in Jesus' name. Praying in Jesus' name is praying that by His will and His authority. That's what we're saying when we say in Jesus' name. Is it important in that way? I believe it is. Because we're not saying we're asking these things for my account or because I owe, you owe them to me or my merit. We're saying we're doing this because of His authority and because of His will. We're praying through the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and on His behalf. So that we can have His authority and His will involved in the matter. I I believe it's very important that we do so. John chapter number 14 and verse number 13. And whatsoever she ask in my... What's the next word here? 
in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in us. No, that the Father may be glorified in His Son. All right? Pray with other Christians. Pray with other Christians. How often do we find in Scripture that the church gathered together to pray? Remember when Peter was in prison? They gathered at uh, the house where Rhoda was, the little servant. And uh, they gathered together for one purpose, to pray. And um, before Pentecost, the church was gathered together, 120 of them, in an upper room, for one purpose, to pray. To pray. And there ought to be seasons of times that we come together as a church and we pray together as a church family. I like the times when we're able to divide up in groups and pray through the circle. Or if we have a, a time where we're going to have the whole church do that and we just, as the Lord leads, and we just sit here in an attitude of prayer as one stands and prays over here for a while and then one stands over here and prays for a while. Now, I, I like the idea in, in the New Testament when the church came together to pray, they weren't in any hurry to leave. In fact, what I understand from Scripture is they planned on staying until the answer came. They were, there was no indication that they were only there from 7 to 8. And that was their only time for praying. When Peter was in jail, it, it looked to me like they were there for the long haul. till Peter either was killed or till Peter was delivered. And there ought to be seasons of prayer like that through the church. <clears throat> The early church prayed together, prayed, uh, prayer, prayed with other Christians. And it has a way of strengthening our faith and our boldness. Acts chapter 1, verse 14. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brethren. Acts chapter 2, verse number 42. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in the breaking of bread and in prayers. They ought to pray private. You ought to pray privately. You ought to pray privately, not just in public. In fact, I believe your private prayer life ought to far exceed your public prayer life. Amen. Amen. And when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corner of the streets, that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward, but thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet. When thou shalt shut the door, pray to thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. Then we ought to pray earnestly. We ought to pray earnestly. The opportunity and privilege of prayer is not something to be taken lightly. We don't pray just as a religious exercise or just because God commanded it. We pray as one who is presenting our request to God. We're coming boldly to the throne of grace, and there's something weighing on our hearts. The Bible says in James chapter 5 and verse number 16 that the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. You cannot separate the two. They must be effectual and fervent. You don't have effectual or fervent. By the way, I'll say this. If it's an effectual prayer, it's because it's a fervent prayer. And if it's a fervent prayer, it will be an effectual prayer. They are one and the same. You cannot divorce the two words here. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. There's an awful lot in that verse. The way that we pray and the life that we have associated with our life coming to Him in prayer. The effectual fervent prayer of a what? What is it? A, a righteous man. A righteous man availeth much. Matthew chapter 6, verse 7 and 8, But when you pray, use not vain repetitions. 
as the heathen do. For they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. Be not ye therefore like unto them, for your father knoweth what things ye have need of before ye ask him. I'm going to make a statement here and I'm going to be very careful how I say it. I have, I have heard people, and when I was a young man, I heard somebody do this, and I thought, boy, that's a really spiritual prayer. Because when they prayed, they used the word Lord after about every two or three words. And they, they must have used the word Lord a hundred times in that prayer. I thought, boy, that must be the way to pray. But then I learned that prayer is just talking to God. When we talk to one another, do we do that? If I'm talking to my dad, and I say, Dad, uh, I want to talk to you about this. And I may say two or three sentences, and I say, Now, Dad, let me share this with you. And, and I say it occasionally in the conversation. But I don't say it every two or three words. If I wanted to ask my dad if I could borrow the car so that I could go down to the store and buy some things for the Thanksgiving lunch, I wouldn't say, Now, Dad, I'd like to dad go and borrow Dad the car, Dad. It, it doesn't make sense to do that. It's vain repetition. Neither do I think you sit there and do what uh, a lot of these folks try to do when they get going and trying to speak in tongues and they start saying a phrase over and over and over again just to try to work themselves up. That's vain repetition. Now, I think we can pour our hearts out to God. And I believe we can be um, have importunity and be able to come to God on a regular basis and continue to pray for things. And I believe we can be fervent in our praying. For praying for a specific issue. It may take us five or ten minutes to pray for that one issue because of all the things that we're asking God to do in that situation. But to sit there and just continue and repetitively go over and over and over again. The Bible teaches we're not supposed to have vain repetition. As if the, through the repetition, God's going to do anything more than He would do through the praying of effectual, fervent praying. We've got to be careful of that. And I, I don't mean to be uh, critical of, of folks that do that. And, and if please, if you know somebody that does that, don't go out there and say, my pastor said you shouldn't do that. I'm trying to teach you some things I think that, that would be helpful from Scripture here. Let's be very, very careful of how we pray in this area. So when you pray, use not vain repetitions. <clears throat> as the heathen do. <clears throat> for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. But not ye, therefore like unto them, for your Father knoweth what things you have need of even before you ask Him. So we ask Him. And then we move on. Uh, pray with a plan. Pray with a plan. When Jesus' disciples asked Him to teach them how to pray... Uh, in Luke chapter 11, verse number 1 uh, is given there. He gave them a model for what to pray about. And we find it in Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 to 13. Who would like to read that one for us? Matthew chapter 6, verse 9 to 13. All right, Brother David, Rector.
All right. I want you to notice that he starts this by saying, uh, after this manner. He does not say, pray this. He's not asking you to recite a prayer. Uh, nowhere in Scripture do you find them reciting prayers. Uh, it's, it's talking with God. But he does give a pattern here. And so let's look what it says here. Our Father which art in heaven, we ought to pray with the confidence of our relationship with our Father. We ought to be able to come to Him and call Him Father, knowing that we have a relationship. We've been adopted into God's family. What an amazing thing. We can come to Him just like we could come to an earthly father with a burden or a need. Uh, He says, hallowed be thy name. We come to Him with worship, giving Him His rightful place. And by the way, he ought always have his rightful place in our hearts, shouldn't he? There's something I've learned over the years, and I, I, I first heard it from a professor in college, and he made this statement, and it, and it never left me. And I've molded over, and I've thought on it, and I've meditated on it for many, many, many years. But he said there's two things that will change your life. When you see God as he really is, and when you see yourself the way that God sees you. In the book of Isaiah, chapter number 6, Isaiah sees both of those. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord high and lifted up, and His train filled the temple. He talks about the seraphims flying around the throne. You remember that? They have six wings, and with two they cover their face. Sign of humility is covered their feet. And with two they did fly. And they went around the throne, and what did they cry all day long? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. And as that took place, Isaiah falls to the ground and says, Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips. And it changed his life, didn't it? He saw God as he really was, and then he saw himself the way that God saw him. And I find this, that as we draw closer to God, we begin to see ourselves in a whole different light than we used to, didn't we? Boy, we we have a hard time thinking too highly of ourselves when we start giving God his rightful place. We begin to see ourselves the way God sees us. So we ought to have a time of worship. He says, Thy kingdom come. We ought to be praying for God to have His kingdom advance, for the things of the Lord to be something of importance in our life. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Pray with submission to God's will. Give us this day our daily bread. We ask God to meet our needs and the needs of others. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. We ought not to harbor any bitterness or unforgiveness in our hearts. And can I just say this? It ought to be a time where we say, Lord, if there's some unconfessed sin that's hampering my my relationship or my walk with you, let me get that right. We We don't lose our salvation when we sin, but we certainly put a kink in the relationship with God. And so we need to get those things right during this time. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. God will help us overcome temptation. In fact, He's the only one who can. He's the only one that's gone through all of them and He's never sinned. And He can help us overcome temptation. God has promised that He will, with that temptation, make a way of escape. But we've got to come to Him for it. And Thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. We ought to pray with the heart for God's glory to be advanced, lifting Him high. And so He tells His disciples, you ought to pray after this manner. These are the types of things that ought to be in your prayer. I'm not sure he was saying you have to have all of them in every prayer you pray, but you ought, these are the things that you ought to be praying for. And uh, I, I, don't, I don't have a problem with 
the Lord's Prayer being printed and having it in your front of your Bible and things like that. But the Lord's Prayer was not made to be recited. It was made to be a pattern of how we come to God through our, through our hearts and in our minds to pray to Him. It's a pattern. All right? Um, some people found the following acrostic of the word ACTS, A-C-T-S, helpful. So let's look at this. A stands for adoration. Praise God for who He is. Tell Him how thankful you are for His goodness to you, His holiness, and etc. C stands for confession. Ask God to bring to mind any sins you've not already confessed to Him. And ask Him to forgive you. And again, clarifying this, this is not so we stay saved. We know from last week, once we're saved, we're what? We're always saved. We're never going to leave that. But we can quench that relationship. We can, we can stifle that. We can grieve the Holy Spirit. We can quench the Holy Spirit. Uh, when I got in trouble as a kid, I did not want to be around my dad or my mom. I just didn't. I knew, I knew the punishment was coming. And it put a wedge between us. But boy, when that was over, when that punishment was over and everything was right and fresh and I felt like, boy, that my heart's right with my dad and my mom, I'd go up and snuggle with them on the couch or love on them because the relationship was restored. And God wants the same thing. Confession of sin is for restoring that walk with Him, that relationship with Him. All right, T for Thanksgiving. Thank God for recent blessings. S stands for supplication. Bring your request to the Lord. Praying for your needs as well as the needs of others. And as you begin to spend regular time in prayer, you will find that your prayer life will grow. And I mean you ought to make it a regular... There ought to be a certain time uh, that you set aside and you don't let anything interfere with it. Um, Let me ask you this question. Has there ever been anything in your life that you knew was coming up, an event that you were really, really looking forward to, and circumstances came up that caused you to have to make a choice of not going to that thing you really wanted to go to, and doing something else. Any of you ever been in that situation before? Um, and yet, sometimes we would choose that even though this other thing came up, no, I'm going to give that up because I want to do this so much more. It's the desire of my heart. Absolute desire of my heart. Um, can I say that ought to be the way it is with prayer? We set aside a time to pray. And there will be things that will crop up in a day's time. Life happens, amen? And things come along. And Satan is going to do things to try to distract us from that time. Can we love that time with God and cherish it so much that it takes a backseat to everything else we do? It's the important thing in my life. It's the time I spend in God's presence. And nothing is going to take the place of that. And that doesn't substitute for the times throughout the day that you just begin talking with God. But there ought to be a specific time. Prayer is fellowship with God. Prayer is not simply the method of transacting uh, tra- uh, of a transaction for asking and getting. It's part of our needful communication with God. Because communication is a part of a relationship. It's a part of a relationship. It is vital that we keep the relationship right. Could you imagine being in love with your spouse and never speaking to them? Or to love your kids with all of your heart and you never talk to them? Several, about a year and a half ago, I got a little convicted because I would go sometimes three or four days and not call my mom, who's 73 years old now and in Florida. And now I call her every single morning and she hates it. 
No, she loves it really. But there's times that she's like, Greg, you call me all the time. Yes, because she's my mom. And she's 73 years old, and I don't know how much longer God's going to give either her or I. And I want to make sure that if something happens today, and one of us goes into eternity, I spoke to her today. I told her I loved her today. Why? Because she's my mom. I have a relationship with her. And all oh, that we could be that way with God. That we would not let a day go by that we don't spend some time with Him. Saying, oh God, I sure do love you. I sure want to spend some time with you. There may be some times you come to God and you don't really have anything real important to say. You just want to spend time with Him. There's times I've called my mom just to chat and see how the day's going. Nothing real important, just, hey, how's it going? There's times we can come to God and just say, God, I just want to spend some time with you. I just want to spend some time with you. Beware of hindrances to prayer. The Bible tells us of specific ways our prayers can become hindered. One of them is through unconfessed sin. Unconfessed sin. And of course it can dampen or ruin the relationship that we have with God. We've already spoken of that. Psalm 66 verse 18 says this, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Isaiah 59, 1 and 2, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save. Neither is His ear heavy that it cannot hear. But your your iniquities have separated between you and your God. And your sins have hid His face from you that He will not, what? Hear. Is confession of our sin an important thing of prayer? Oh, you better believe it. You better believe it. It restores that relationship with Him. And by the way, isn't it far better to confess that sin and get it right with God than to wait for His chastening? I'd far rather do that. Unforgiveness hinders our prayer life. Mark chapter 11, verse number 25. And when you stand praying, forgive. If you have ought against any, that your Father also, which is in heaven, may forgive you your trespass. The idea that if we come to the altar and there we remember there that someone has ought against us, we're to go and make that right first and then come back to the altar. That's an interesting principle of Scripture. Because it speaks of the fact that you're the one coming to the altar, and yet you remember that someone else has ought against you. Doesn't speak of you having ought against them, does it? If that person has ought against you before you come to the altar, what are we supposed to do? Go make it right. Well, Brother Greg, they didn't re- they didn't come and, and apologize. Doesn't matter. The burden of forgiveness is resting upon us. Amen. And by the way, the world doesn't teach that, but the Bible does. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse number 7, Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. So unforgiveness will hinder our prayers. All right? Uh, the third one on the page, disregard for God's Word will hinder our prayers. Disregard for God's Word will hinder our prayers. Proverbs chapter 28, verse number 9. He that turneth his away his ear from hearing the law, even his prayer shall be abomination. Abomination. Alright? Restore fellowship through prayer. Restore fellowship through prayer. 
When we realize that we have a hindrance in prayer in our lives, how do we remove it? Through prayer. 1 John chapter 1, verse number 9, if we confess our sins, He is what? Faithful. Aren't you glad of that tonight? And just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We simply confess our sin to the Lord and ask Him to forgive us. Thankfully, God is faithful to always, always, always forgive. You remember the story of uh, the disciple, I think it was Peter, who came to Christ and said, How often should we forgive? Seven times? And you could almost hear the glee in Peter's voice. You can almost hear him patting himself on the back. The custom of the day was to forgive someone three times. And Peter thought, boy, we're going to go above and beyond here. I'll forgive somebody seven times. God, what do you think about that? What do you think about that, Jesus? Are you going to commend me for this because you've opened my eyes to forgiveness? And what did Christ respond to him? Seventy times. Seven. And by the way, he didn't intend for it to be a number, did he? He meant it to be a principle. We're to forgive them every single time. What if they come and do the exact same thing again? <laughs> we still forgive them. What about if they do it seven times in a row? And, and, and uh, you know, I forgive them once and I'll forgive them twice. But boy, that third time, three, three times a charm. Strike three, they're out. I'm not going to just keep forgiving them. Now, I'm not speaking here of empowerment. There is a difference here. You don't empower them to continue doing wrong. But it is our obligation, according to Scripture, to forgive how often? Every time. Even if it's the same thing over and over again? Every time. We can confront them and try to help them with not doing it every time, but we're still to forgive them. Amen? All right. Let's look at the application real quick and we'll be done. What a privilege God has given us through prayer. One of the most important steps in our Christian life is to begin praying on a regular basis. We're going to find that prayer is both a relief, allowing us to unburden our heart to God, and a blessing as we see that God answers our prayers. There are two vital steps that you can take to begin developing a meaningful prayer life. First of all, plan a regular prayer time. Plan a regular prayer time. I cannot emphasize this enough. If you don't set aside a regular time, you will get distracted with the cares of life and you will find yourself uh, having a difficult time finding time to pray. To the point where you may go two or three days and realize, boy, it's been two or three days and I haven't prayed. Have a specific time. To pray with consistency requires a plan, set a time of day. I would go so far as to say find a, find a specific place. And just plan on being there unless you, unless you travel a lot and have to be different places. But if you're starting first thing in the morning, usually you're starting out in your house. And it's not too difficult to find a certain place to pray. Begin with a small amount of time, perhaps five or ten minutes. I, I, you know, some people look at that, at that statement and they say, well, Brother Greg, five or ten minutes isn't near enough time to pray. When you're not praying on a regular basis at all, I'll tell you this. If you try to start off saying, Lord, I'm going to give you one hour a day. And I'll do it in the morning time. Uh, you may do that the first day, maybe the second day. By the third day, you're going to be, oh, wow, I can't do this. Take it, take it in small steps. Start with five or ten minutes. You'd be surprised. If you're not in the habit of praying like this, other than at the dinner table, 
It's amazing. The first time I ever remember as a teenager going down after mom and dad got in bed and I went downstairs and I knelt down at the couch. They had a big mirror right in front of the couch. I knelt down and I prayed and I mean I prayed. I was pouring my heart out. And I prayed and I prayed and I prayed and my knees started hurting. I grabbed one of the pillows and put it under my knees and I prayed some more and I prayed some more and man, I, I just, I was excited. I, it got sweet and I didn't want to leave. And I finally got through everything I could think to pray. And I was, and, and, and I mean this, this is how it felt to me. And I got done praying and I looked at my watch and it had been seven minutes. But that's how it'll be when you start. That's how it'll be. And so start, start small. Start five to ten minutes and then build it. All right? Uh, there's a place there you can write a daily prayer time. If you don't have one, think it through. Find a time that works for you and write it down in the book. Write it down in the book. Say, this is my time that I'm going to go pray every day. All right, and then begin a prayer list. If you have a list of things to pray for, especially when you're just starting out in praying, and by the way, you'll find that that list gets to become very, very important even as you grow in your prayer life. Have a prayer list. If you know that you have certain things to pray for, it causes you to think, boy, I need to be praying for that today. And I need to go to my prayer time so I can make sure I pray for them. Brother Everett's in the hospital. I went to see him yesterday. He looked real good Saturday. Went to see him yesterday afternoon, and I said, how are you doing? And he didn't look as good as he did Saturday. And uh, I said, how are you doing? He said, I've had a rough day. He said, yesterday was really, really good. Monday was really, really good. But yesterday, he said, I'm paying the price for a really good day. And can I tell you this, that we prayed for Brother Everett, and we might have prayed for him Sunday. But did we pray for him on Monday, and did we pray for him on Tuesday? And I know some of us do. Some of us keep very good lists, prayer lists. But a prayer list will help us to remember these things and to mark them down and to pray for them regularly and fervently and effectively. All right? So have a prayer list. And then look back on the next page at your verse for the week, Jeremiah 33, 3. Some of you may already know this. Call unto me and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. <coughs> a great prayer promise of the Bible. Let's work on memorizing it this week. And then you have your, uh, your five days of lessons there to go through. And uh, let's work on our prayer life, shall we? And uh, we don't want to just give, again, a punch list of things to do. Do this, don't do that. Your prayer life needs to be your walk and your relationship with God. Uh, make it something that's effective. Something that you pour your heart out to God in. And, uh, boy, it won't take long before you'll start loving that time and you will not want to miss it. Uh, it's a sweet thing. It really is. And I, I know a lot of folks shaking their heads when I say that. And I know a lot of us already have prayer times. But if you don't, can I challenge you to work on this area? And help and I promise it will be the greatest thing you ever do in your Christian life. It really will. All right, let's stand together. We'll be dismissed in a word of prayer. And then uh, after the service, take a few moments to fellowship. We've got quite a few folks here. Shake hands with one another.